need some motivation on your Chinese business endeavor, may be curious about what the Chinese business environment is all about, or want to laugh out loud listening to war stories on the ground in China, then this is your show, China Business Cast. So I have been here 12 years and、um, I'm running a company that is helping European Union SMEs enter China market.、Mm-hmm. And, um, a lot of times when I work with them,、uh, it takes probably one year for them to fix the trademark situation because first, they're not aware of it. Second, they don't know how to think about it because in China, you need to think about it very differently. And then, yeah, I know. Usually, when they come to an exhibition, there will be a Chinese agent who will come and try to sell their own trademark back to them because they already registered that trademark, you know. So, I have been doing this for 12 years and I have seen all of the situations. And that's why I was thinking for a long time who can I talk to who would be like non biased? So, it's not like a.、Mm-hmm. You know, Office that's trying to sell their services, but also who would understand the situation and who could talk to me about、uh, what is the reality of this issue and how the companies in the European Union should protect themselves. So I'm really happy to have you on China Business Cast today. And、um, thank you very much for agreeing to talk to me. It's my pleasure. Very nice to meet you. I think it's, yeah, the reality of the IP in China is, is very interesting. I, I really love the topic. Why do, said, topic,、uh, um, why do you love the topic? Why do you love it? Because it's always, it's very interesting. It's always evolving. There's always a new technology.、Mm. There's always something new. There's, it's in constant change. The, the laws are changing all the time. That is、mm. something that you don't see, for example, in family law or, or company law.、Mm. So, yeah, it's a challenge. Is it、When、only decided, for China that is changing so fast, or is it like this in the whole world? Well, in China, it's changing particularly faster、mm. than any other place, but I think China is changing in general faster、mm. than any other place.、And、do you see any particular changes that you think are important to be reminded of that just recently happened when it comes to trademark regulations or the IP laws in particular? Well, re- regarding trademark, there are not so many changes. Very bad. I'm not、uh, happy with this. <laughs> Yes, there are more changes in the sector of technology with patents,、mm. especially with artificial intelligence, the possibility of protecting with patents、uh, software or not. That is a huge、mm. discussion that is going on. Yeah, and there are some, let's say, products, technologies that are so complex that they involve so many, so many different aspects, so many、mm. details or technological differences that is really complex to protect it. And it You really need an expert to think a very good strategy to get every approach.、Hmm. Um, yeah, that is the main, that is, that is what I like. It is, it is a huge challenge. Every case、hmm. is totally different. So yeah, you that's need to go I, back to ground zero and think about it like you've never done it before, right? Like,、mm-hmm. it's so different. You need to deduct and declutter and start at the very beginning. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but there are some. Some products, some t- that the technology that is involved, it's a combination of so many aspects. So many, for example, you have to protect the whole manufacturing process, which、mm. you have different machines that are also new. And some of them they involve software. So,、mm. how to protect, like, you have so many different aspects to take into consideration that you really have to 
think it through. Mm. And as I said, new technologies, for example, artificial intelligence, mm. it's not easy to find a solution in the in the law itself. And now there is a even bigger challenge that came up with artificial intelligence. That means that some, let's say, trademarks, copyrights, even patents, they are not developed by human. They are developed by machines. Mm. So who is the who is the owner? Can it can it be protected? Mm. Yeah, because if you go to the law, the law itself says, of course, it says like this because it was sought in a different period of time. The author is going to be the person who made the work. It literally says "person" in many of the of mm-hmm. the laws in the world. But then there is the term legal person. But there is the term legal person. So that yeah, could that's be a that company. company, right? So then, who yeah, is that yes. person? Yes, but it's not exactly the same. I, I get mm-hmm. your point, and this is part of the discussion. That ah, then it should be the company because it's a legal entity, the legal person who is the mm-hmm. one that created. Yes, but then you have when you go to all the judicial interpretation, they said mm-hmm. no. They all said there has to be a person mm-hmm. because it, for that discussion, you also have a, a previous discussion about if the company can be the owner of the products done by their employees. Mm. Many laws were more protective regarding the employees. Many others were more open. For example, America is more open to giving to the company the ownership. Mm, yeah. China, in this sense, is more protective like in Europe. Mm. So then you have a lot of mm-hmm. judicial decisions that said, no, it cannot be the company. It has to be the person. Mm-hmm. And now this complicates because we have artificial intelligence. So what do yeah. we do? Who is that? Um, who is the real owner? We don't know. Okay, so maybe but... I just uh, tell to the listeners that today we're talking to the China IP SME Help Desk, which is supported yes. by the European Union. And it works with European Union small and medium-sized enterprises to both protect and enforce their intellectual property rights in or relating to mainland China, Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan through the provision of free-of-charge information and services. And these take the form of jargon-free first-line confidential advice on intellectual property and related issues, plus the organization of training seminars and webinars and the provision of materials and online resources. And um, today it is Matthias Zubimendi. Am I pronouncing Matthias Zubimendi. Yes, yes it's nice to meet. Yes. Who is the IP That's business me. advisor at the China IPR SME help desk? Who I'm talking to today about everything related to IP in China. So, Matthias, maybe you can tell us uh, who you are, where you come from, and um, what do you do now? I see that you're not really European by origin, so it's very curious how you ended up working. Yes, us Europeans, yes. which I'm very happy about. <laughs> Yes, actually, I was born and raised in Argentina. However, mm-hmm. my family has Spanish origin. Oh. So I think that's a connection with, with Europe. When I, I decided to study law, first I was more interested in international relations. So I always had this international mindset. Went, always wanted to live and work abroad. However, when I finished, when I got my degree, I realized that, okay, I need also a more specific field to work with. And your degree uh, was in Buenos Aires, no? No, it's a Rosario. It's a different city from, from Argentina. Okay. But I ended up in, in Buenos Aires doing a master's degree organized mm-hmm. by, by WIPO. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, 
yeah, it's a, it's a master degree in intellectual property rights. And that really changed my vision. And I, I realized that this is for real what I want to do for, for the rest of my life. So since then, I started working what in the field. What was the thing that changed their vision? What was that thing that made you realize that you really want to do this? I think it was what we were discussing previously, that mm -hmm. it's a it's a field that is in constant change. Hmm. There were not by then there were not so many professionals, uh, at least in, in Latin America. So I saw the opportunity of of growing or, or like a less uh, less empty field. Hmm. Yeah. How did you go then from the empty field in Latin America to China? Well, I got a scholarship. As I said, I decided to go more internationally. First, I considered Europe, but yeah, it was more it was more difficult. There were many professionals from from Latin America working there, and I said, "Okay, what can I offer as a difference? How can I make the difference?" And I saw China as an opportunity. I I got the scholarship to study at Peking University, which is which very, year was it? 2017. So now you have been in Beijing for the past four years, right? Yeah, with the exception of uh, 2020 because mm -hmm. of obvious reasons that same, I got same. stuck outside. Yeah. Where were yeah. you stuck? In Spain. I was stuck in India. Uh, in India. Oh, that's that's nice. <laughs> I had a whole experience. Oh, I will tell you on another occasion. <laughs> All right. Yes, it was a very interesting experience for me as well because I, out of the blue, I got stuck. I was visiting some some family members and mm. out of the blue china closed the borders argentina closed the borders so i didn't have anywhere to go i wow. wasn't able to go back even to my own country so but, i couldn't yeah. go anywhere because india didn't close the borders it closed the airspace so ah, okay. about the borders it's just there were no flights and no titties yeah no no <laughs> yeah Okay, 2020 was a, such a year for everyone, I think. And not, I think um, for people who are expats and working between cultures, it was particularly difficult. But I noticed that in my environment, when it comes to China market entry, which we do, it became mm -hmm. um, slower. But at the same time, every decision that the companies made was made very carefully because they had time to really think and sit with that decision, you know, alone in their quarantined environments wherever they are so actually for the market entry in China it had a very positive effect because before people were in a hurry they were rushing they were trying to get the mm -hmm. of investment and they were doing everything without taking time but now with some of the companies we spent I think four months mm -hmm. analyzing their portfolios of like 3,000 products and identifying which classes and categories they should be protecting their IP rights in, you know, so this was something that we were doing and we had time to do this before there was no yes, time. From the help desk, we, we noticed that the pandemic for SMEs caused huge problems because mm -hmm. before they were even able to come here and see, for example, participating in a trade fair, mm -hmm. but now they cannot. So now they hesitate more. Mm -hmm. And those who are they have no experience. We even have some companies that have no experience at all being international. Mm -hmm. They just are too scared. This is still mm -hmm. a reality. When myself even, attended... To, even 500 euros mm -hmm. for them is a lot of money. For some companies, yes. Yeah. 
we see some family business at 5,000 euros, it's, they say, okay, but they have to be really sure that yes. this is not going to be waste because, and there's also the, the next the next question that follows that normally is, okay, I have my trademark. What happens if someone is copying me? Hmm. How do I do? Oh, you have to enforce it. Uh-huh. How much is this? Because then so then they how, have to what is the normal conversation then? How does it go? Well, with family family business, the, the first conversation is, or the first question is, how can I protect myself? Like, I want to really enter, enter the Chinese market. How can I protect myself? I have this, this is this is my product, this is my, my trademark, with this trademark being in the family for, I don't know how many generations. It's quite well known here, so we are very well protected. And then I have to explain that, okay, you are very well protected at home. Hmm. And then you have to understand that intellectual property rights, not only trademark, all of them, territorial. This means that you need to do the protection and registration in every single territory. Otherwise, you have no protection. In the case of China, this is particularly important. Also, in the case of China, you have another extra, uh, let's say, difficulty or expense that you have four different jurisdictions. So you have China, mainland China, Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan. So you have to invest and protect in any single jurisdiction, which for a company, basically, it means it's more expensive. Hmm. It's not necessarily more difficult. It takes, yes, it's more difficult in the sense of it takes more time. You have to be more careful, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the most important aspect for the company is that it's going to be just more expensive. So what so, I tell to my clients, I say that it is uh, first, to file system so then the first uh, person who will submit the application for the registration this will be the priority for these people to get the rights to that trademark and then when we work in for example wine business so we Mm -hmm. need to protect not only wine but also the glasses and also the aprons and also the packaging because uh, all of these classes are under very different list and then if for example our partner the chinese distributor needs to sell glasses together with the branded bottle of wine then they will be the ones registering it because otherwise they will not be able to enter the market themselves so this is actually a challenge for the chinese distributors too how to explain it to the european suppliers and then in the end uh, you are stuck with this distributor because you need to sell the wine together with the glasses and if the distributor has the rights for the glasses, then you forever need to be buying glasses from him. You know, So I think this is something that very few European companies know or understand. So maybe you can tell me how you approach this. Actually, what your strategy is, is, is very good. It's exactly how you describe it. Here we have this first to file rule. Thank you. Which I have is... done it for 12 years. So I learned to... No, <laughs> yeah, you learned very well. <laughs> Because this first-to-file rule, yeah. which some experts, they say that eventually is going to be, not disappear, but at least not be so strict. Mm. Because when they modified the last time the, the trademark law, they added in the Article 44 that there is that bad face registration, they, they shouldn't be granted. So those who suffer or the trademark was squatted, they should be able to recover it. But for that, they have to enforce it. So as you said, have you, you seen successful cases of enforcing? Because I haven't. 
Like it's very tough. No, it's it's really it's really difficult. It takes several years. Yeah. And no, also it's, the it's, conclusion it's is not necessarily positive because then even through arbitration and then, you know, like it just becomes very expensive and really nothing comes out of it, it seems like. That's that's a problem or that's why it's important to have a good strategy from the very from beginning. From the very beginning, Because yes. as as you as you said, when you have to think your, your climate strategy, you have to focus, of course, in your main product hmm. and register in that class. But then you have to think that the defensive trademarks, this is all the ones that are not exactly your product, but they are very well connected. You gave yes. the, the case of wine and glasses. That is a, a great example. And you also have to do registrations in those in those classes. Yes. Because, because you can end it up, it could be in your case that this, your distributor is using it to get you or to get the exclusivity. Correct. But it, it could be that someone is using your brand when it's becoming very famous to Correct. sell products that are not necessarily connected. And they say, oh, it's, this brand looks European. It's, mm -hmm. it's going to be more, it's going to be better for my marketing. <laughs> so they just go with it. Yeah, you ended up having a competitor or non-competitor out of the blue. And this bad fair registration, it's it's a thing. It's a problem here. We, we've seen many cases lately. We've seen that several Spanish companies from the food and beverage sector, some of them attended to a trade fair here in China, and they saw that there were exhibitors selling their own counterfeited product. products. Wow. Yes. So they raised How the attention. How did they feel? The, uh, not well. The problem is that they raised attention to the embassy, and yes. the embassy started making a research they realized that there were even more products that they were contemplated. And when they contacted those companies, those companies even said, we've never been in China. We have no idea how they know about our products. Hmm. We never export anything to China. We have we never interacted with any, any business person from China. So we don't know how this could have happened. Um, and I think it is that Chinese tourism, people who are business people, they always mix business and pleasure. And when they go to Spain, they walk around and they take pictures of the trademarks they like. They come back and they just submit registrations. And then later they could, use it <laughs> for their own. It could be that. It could be that. But in my opinion, it's, it's, more, it's different. It comes from another way. Hmm. Maybe those companies didn't participate in a trade fair in China. But they okay. did participate uh -huh. in a trade fair in, in Europe, Germany, or they yeah. did participate, yeah, or lately in a webinar, or uh -huh. maybe they are part of a chamber of commerce who is promoting products and so right. on. There's people paying attention and say, oh, this means uh, it seems that we have a future. Mm. So they do the registration and start doing their own business. And the modern uh, so, Chinese consumers, mm -hmm. it seems like they really like uh, foreign brands with Chinese characteristics. So there are a lot of, especially in the alcohol category, uh, Chinese brands, mm -hmm. for example, very famous uh, fruit wine called Miss Berry. So the name is Miss Berry, English, but the whole mm -hmm. thing and everything, it looks very Chinese and it is a Chinese brand. But the first name is, uh, and it looks like a foreign product. So it seems like... Um, they don't yet know how to, you know, produce it on the same level as Spain in terms of wine, but they really admire this quality and this branding. So they are kind of almost inspired and, you know, you know trying to bring yes, it. Yes, of, yes, of course. And Europe 
regarding this, they have a very good opportunity because here Chinese people, when they think about Europe, they think about quality. Right. Especially in certain specific sectors. If you talk about technology and yes. you mention a German company, it's very well considered. If we talk about wines, if we talk about food, if you mention Italy, if you mention yes. Spain, Portugal, France, they think this is good. So the the the, the way that the countries should present their products is very important. And those companies that are becoming international. They should start considering China as part of the strategy, even if mm. China is not in the short plan, the short-term mm. plan. If Because it, it takes if up it to is, two years, right, to protect the trademark fully sometimes. Not only that, what happens is you start becoming very famous in Europe and they say, okay, now this is time for China, but maybe it's too late. Correct. Time-wise, and for those companies that are becoming more medium-sized than small sites. Registering a trademark is not difficult, it's not considerably expensive, and they can do that. Of course, those companies, they should take into consideration that here in China, you have to not only register the trademark, but you have to use it. Because yes. if you don't use it for three years, it can be it can be cancelled. But again, it, it should be possible to have certain activities to start the market, start using the trademark, And always uh, avoiding this cancellation action, the cancellation action. Can uh, webinars without... or online activities can be considered as activities, or it has to be physical okay, well, in the market? It doesn't have to be physical products in the market. However, webinars, I wouldn't say it's going to be enough because okay, so maybe you have to read it mm -hmm. because you really have to prove that you use it in China. So. Mm -hmm. With webinars, you just simply add a difficulty. It's mm. it's better just to do some promotions and advertise, taking advantage of the work that the embassies are doing or the chambers mm. of commerce are doing, being part of any of those events. Yeah, it shouldn't be that difficult. Of course, mm. the company should add the extra care of recording and being capable of using it as evidence at the end of the day is going to be uh, evidence yes you need to have the track record you cannot wake up one day and uh, after three years and have all of that uh, yeah, but disappear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you cannot you cannot say like ah wait wait two years ago i used a trademark in an event let me check yes which event it was no you have to have you need to have everything very well record but so, uh, again it seems is... like the preparation is needed in the very beginning when it's still cheap so you have time to protect yourself before it's too late and then secondly while you're protecting yourself you need to be very careful in choosing the categories and classes where you want to protect yourself so not only focus on the key product but also on the other products that your competitors can mm -hmm. take away from you. And third, while doing all this, you still need to be careful and plan ahead to make sure that your brand is being seen in the market and your product yes. is in Chinese market so that this territory claim could be uh, proved if there is a time that comes where somebody wants to take it away, right? Since this is the yes, exactly. points. Okay, so... Uh, yes, um, yes. I was very curious how you joined the, the China IP European Union SME help desk. Maybe you can tell me why. What attracted you there after studying in Beijing? Well, by then I was working with a company that was opening their offices, a biotechnological company here in in China. It was in Shanghai. Due to COVID, 
uh, of course, this project was was cancelled, and mm. I started looking for new opportunities. But from that experience, I really like this this job of helping a company to settle down here, to teach them how to overcome the, the cultural differences, and how to really learn and think about. I mean, in the Chinese way, with the Chinese mindset, which is, what is the different Chinese from way? the Western. Mm, that things may take time, that things you have to be done very carefully. You need to get everything in order. There are some problems that you cannot simply discuss it and, and, and solve it, that you need to really do your homework. And what is the and homework yeah, that uh, you need to do besides the trademark that we just discussed? What is well, the normal conversation is... that you have? Usually, I think that you should by now, because you've been doing this almost two years. So you probably have already a prepared speech that you give to every um, person who reaches you. Yeah, at the, at the China IP, we only advise about IP. There is another mm-hmm. EU program that is called USME Center that helps for market entry. And, okay. Yeah, they, they, they help regarding company law, for example. Mm-hmm. But when I was working by then with that company, the steps were very simple. First, you need to exist. You need to register your company. Then you need to be capable of selling whatever you're selling. So you need the, the market access licenses. Then you need as well your, your IP rights protected. Then you need, if you need employees, you need to get all your manual of employees in order. To get the office here, you need to also find someone capable of doing your taxes, etc., etc., etc. And this, every single of these these aspects have their own characteristics. Many of them, you will need the help of an expert because it's it's very difficult to be sold. Also, for some companies, uh, it's not very easy to understand that having a native is very important because. Uh, the language is, is is complicated, and there are simply you need a, a native person or almost native person to go through. So you need to also invest in human resources. This is something that many companies try to avoid, but I believe it's a it's a huge asset. People is important. Um, but I see that there is a big challenge having native people. So what my company does is we have uh, foreigners who speak Chinese and also Chinese who speak English. And then we kind mm-hmm. of have um, part-time supply so we can, like a company can contract us to have a part-time sales representative for them in China. Often yeah, so, uh, are that's... already prepared to work with Europeans because it's a very different culture. And I wonder what are the questions that the Europeans usually ask you and whether you can feel the cultural conflict not only between China and yourself, but also maybe Europe and yourself because you're coming from a very different culture. I think the the, the most common question comes from a misconception that everything is extremely chaotic and everything, or at least from, from the enforcement side, that simply it doesn't work. There is a misconception that in Europe, if you have everything in order, you just go to court and get things solved. But here, if you even if you have everything, if you go to court, you will get nothing, which is That's not, not the true, case. Right? Yeah. And this comes from a misconception. And most of them, they said, oh, but I know someone that had this issue and it didn't work. But then if you go into details, 
there were mistakes in the Correct. process. So the so, story is a good story. No, no, no. And in very extreme cases, some companies, they just say, just call someone and solve it, or I will call the embassy and they will solve it. How? And by talking, which is not the case. You have to follow uh, formal steps. Uh, there is a, a, a legal system, a judicial system that you have to respect. And um, yeah, there, there is this misconception, sadly, but I think it's going to is going to change. So is it a part of your job to advocate for following the system and respecting the system or explaining that there is a system? Because it's a very tough uh, stereotype to crack then if all the Europeans coming to China already come with a thought of disrespect, right? Well, it's not all of them first, mm -hmm. but just some of them. Yeah. And yes, we Basically, at the helpless, we are trying to be honest. We don't try to sell this as a fairy tale, but we don't try to discourage anyone. So we say what we really believe, that if you do your homework, if you, for example, as we were mentioning in the case of trademarks, if you do the registration, if you have all the classes, you'll be fine, but mm. you have to do it. So there are challenges, there are some extra difficulties as in any other foreigner market mm. because you have to adapt to a new culture, you have to know new rules, you are far away. Now with the COVID, you can even you cannot travel to the place. So we are not denying the difficulties, but we are trying to teach the tools to overcome those difficulties and succeed. So what kind of issues should a company have uh, to come to you for help? And what is the limitation of your help? Because some parts of this is actually paid consultations. I think at least it should be. So I don't know, like, what kind of questions are you allowed to answer and how deep can you go uh, with a company in solving their problems? Well, the China IPSME Health Desk cannot represent companies because we are offering mm -hmm. a free of charge service. We are founded by the EU. So part of our mandate is not to interfere in the market. So what we normally do is uh, give a first advice, give some guidance, help them to start planning the IP strategy to yeah, make the first very first decisions. If they go to if they take the decision of go even further, start doing the registration or even if there is, in case of an informant, enforcement, to start sending a cease and desist letter, all this should be done with the local expert. So in our website, we have a list of experts where they can, they can contact. We don't recommend any. We never do any recommendation. But can they come to you with our, a suggested uh, strategy from the expert for double opinion? It happened, yes, that they said, uh, or it happened that Someone said, I have my own attorney. I already have it, but I don't know. I want to know your opinion. And this is a suggested strategy. What do you think? Would you modify something? Would you ask any further question? Or should mm -hmm. I pay attention to any aspect? This this, this happened, yes. Because I we see also, that um, mm -hmm. in my environment, like what businesses are lacking is uh, like a very basic common sense sometimes like you really need a third party that is not biased not interested in selling you more but mm -hmm. somebody who will tell you what it really will be like if you make this decision or that decision where is this you know what is the significance 
Yes, that, 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 as I said, that, that happened. That some of them said, oh, we know that you're not, yes, you're not trying to sell anything. You're not getting any profit out of right. this. So, yeah, this, I think, gives some some confidence that is going to be, yeah, purely honest, uh, professional advice. Mm. Um, also, at the help desk, we, we, we can do certain or provide certain services, let's say, or assistance uh, that we've done. Uh, regarding, for example, problems with communication. It happened mm. that uh, maybe the law firm that they hired was the English speakers were not so good or they were rather <laughs> yes, not, very, yeah. not very talkative. So, and also it happened that it was, a, let's say, family business and their English was not very good, so they were simply saying, I have no idea what we are talking about, I don't understand. So we help with communication. We have uh, employees or, I don't know how to say, members in the China help desk that we are all coming from different origins, so we don't only speak English, we also have our native languages. Do you have so Lithuanian? Lithuanian, no, 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 sorry, we should, but no, very we nice. have Estonian. <laughs> oh, really nice. So the Baltics yes, are represented. Yeah. I'm happy. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> no, we have Italian, we have Hungarian, Dutch, or myself. I speak Spanish, but French. there's uh, there's French as well. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, sometimes we, for some companies that have difficulties with communication, we can help and improve this or help them to solve any particular mm. issue. Also, I, we, see, we, mm -hmm. I see personally very big value in in um, bringing European Union products to China because of our quality and all of those family-owned businesses are my dream clients to work with because there is a story, there is a legend, there is a third generation doing the same thing. And uh, when I was studying international relations in Fudan in China, my professor, he put an idea in my mind, which I totally admire and agree with. He said that uh, China is learning from Europe, not uh, the financial power, but the normative power. And then we saw that um, European Union products that are very high quality products that are not animal tested in cosmetics or toothpaste categories or mm -hmm. any kind of uh, personal hygiene. Um, suddenly, since 2017, we started uh, seeing the laws getting loosened up and suddenly you could sell already online and now there is a new law um, in importation. So it's definitely very desired by Chinese consumers. So it's really nice to have uh, support from European Union because um, in this market, definitely, like there are a lot of gossip, such as what you just said, and a lot of stereotypes that people don't always know what is right and what is wrong. So another yeah, exactly. question that I have is, what was the latest challenge that you helped the company to resolve? Well, I, I can't recall about, it was, a, it was a German company, I think. German or Austrian company, but a German speaker for sure. They were developing a new a new device that was, help, was going to, or meant to help disabled people to work. Wow. It involved hardware and it involved software. So they were thinking or, or starting to, to think the, the, their IP strategy. They made their own research without having a legal expert on the team, which is the first big mistake. They came up with this, with this 
strategy and say, okay, we can we have to design how our product looks like because it is important how it is designed. Then they said, and we need a patent, an invention patent. The problem with this strategy was that when we talk about design patent, what we are protecting only is how the product looks like. It's purely ornamental, no technology involved. They were thinking that with the design pattern, they were going to protect the innovative part of the design, which was not going to be the case. Also, they were going with uh, invention patent, purely invention patent. And their business plan was to start selling as soon as possible. But when you start, when you file an invention patent, patents takes from three up to six years. You don't have any protection during that period of time. So they were not protecting the design from the technological point of view. And they were going to have a patent late because they were going to start commercializing the product without having protection. What I suggested instead of, of this strategy was to do a parallel registration of invention patent, but there's also another intellectual property right called utility model which shares the same requirements as the patent. It's, they protect almost the same. The difference is that the registration process of utility models is way much simpler because they don't check the substantial requirements. They will do so if later you want to enforce it, but during the registration process, they don't. So instead of being from three up to six years, it's less than one year or mm. up to a year. Mm. So you are capable of protecting your your technology. Did they take your advice? I believe yes. No? Later, as nice. I as I mentioned, as I mentioned, they have to go further with the mm. with the local attorney. Um, not always happens that they they keep telling us uh, what how everything ended up. But I think they 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 made the decision and, and they will go with this with this strategy because I also believe that this. This is the correct strategy. That the, the previous one was was not accurate at all. Yeah. So Lithuanian embassy sometimes asks me to give inputs um, because mm -hmm. uh, me working for twelve years, I worked with probably more than two hundred companies from Lithuania only, and then European Union and mm -hmm. other countries. And uh, there are some issues that always uh, come up, and namely. Mm -hmm three issues related to IP. So maybe we can see if you have a suggestion. One of them was okay. when um, a Lithuanian company registered a trademark mm -hmm. uh, and the right to this trademark expired in 2018. Mm -hmm. And then when they wanted to reacquire the rights to that trademark, they mm -hmm. said already that this trademark is no longer available because there are similar trademarks in the market. And that mm -hmm. kind of opened up discussion, what it means similar and what it means different. And how do you compare between one trademark and another? So I wonder if you have any opinion about this or if there is any way to go about it. Yes, my, my first advice is never let it uh, expire. Just <laughs> renew it. And I, a, I told them the same time. thing, but you know, now it's too yes. late. Yeah. Yes. Regarding similarities... Well, basically, the rule is that it should be different enough so the consumers cannot get the product thinking they're buying another product. 
So I don't know in this case how similar were these, these other trademarks that they were quoted. Um, my advice is always try to make the, the trademark more complex. If you have, for example, the possibility of adding a logo or to change how the brand looks like to, again, to make it different from, or make it to be more specific, distinctive from the, the ones that exist in the market. Also, I don't know if this was the case, the company has a chance to get a Chinese brand. This is a, to change it into Chinese characters to make it easier to be recognized for Chinese consumers. So the company will always have the chance to to get the international name or should always get the chance to get the international name. Maybe they can rebrand it, but then they should start investing in this in this Chinese name. And of course, if you are creating a new Chinese name, if your first option is simply similar to anyone exist, any other existing, you just change it and trying to invest it. And again, don't let it expire. I think it's very interesting what you mentioned because we had a situation with the wine from Germany that the there was a miscommunication between the client and the, mm -hmm. the distributor because the client couldn't understand why it's not going into retail, you know. And the reason mm -hmm. why is that the Chinese, they actually created the Chinese name for that same brand and they were waiting for the trademark, you know, registration to be completed before they go into retail. And that took two years from the creation of the name. And so they have the exclusive contract with the supplier. Mm -hmm. But then the supplier was angry at the Chinese, but they had a very good strategy. And I think that this is the right way of approaching the Chinese consumers because if they cannot read the brand, then... It is killing the market before they can enter the market. So No, of course. And this is something that some companies need to understand. It's still a reality that sector of the consumers is unable to read our alphabet. So they need to change it into a way that they can, so they can read it. So when we talk about retail and you go to the supermarket, someone will give the product name that is going to be possible to be read right so you will your company will have a chinese name even if you don't want it it yes. will have a chinese name. so it's better for you to get control because first from the marketing point of view you can choose the characters you can choose a deeper meaning that the characters that you will use so you can make it sounds nice you don't want a negative character associated with your brand because no one will buy it. Yes. And the second aspect is if here everyone is going to read the Chinese name instead of the international name, they will start remembering the Chinese name, not necessarily the international name. And here I have to be maybe too honest, <laughs> but in some languages, the international name is so different and so difficult to be remembered that a simple modification will confuse the consumers and they will start following whatever the, somebody the created. Name. Yeah. The Chinese name, if someone else is the owner of that Chinese name, they will be the owners of your brand, of Whole your, brand, of your yeah. trademark. Even if the international name, they change it, uh, even if it's not very a significant difference. In the Chinese market, they will be your company. Right. So this is a very important aspect 
especially for those companies in grid. Mm. This is something else that we do. It usually takes us six to eight weeks to create a Chinese mm -hmm. name for the brand. It's not something so easy to do. You need to think about no. um, the values of the company, how it is reflected in the name, because each Chinese character is the whole world in itself. I studied Chinese language since 2006. So this is mm -hmm. where I started in my work, um, being an interpreter. Mm -hmm. And um, But yeah, this is something that is highly overlooked. But I think it is not only the matter of uh, miscommunications or that the Chinese consumers don't understand the foreign alphabet, but it is today the matter of respect because uh, this yes. country is the only country where the economy is growing right now, like the big economy. Um, so yeah. if you want to penetrate this market, you need to show a little bit of uh, commitment. Yes, a company should take it as part of the marketing investment because at the end of the day, choosing the characters, choosing your name is marketing. It's how you present to your your consumers and trying to get as many sales as possible. It's simple as that. Hmm. It's, it's an investment. So I think uh, we're almost uh, approaching one hour. So I mm -hmm. will just have the last uh, question. And what are your proudest achievements in China and what makes you wake up in the morning? Because it seems like a very uh, tense, uh, tense environment. Like you're constantly being asked questions that are sometimes not reasonable. And you need to continue telling people and educating them when you're giving the news that they're not happy news. A lot of the times, I imagine you would be saying something that is a bit uh, stressful, that will open up doors to stress. <laughs> well, at the head, we want to believe that we are not giving so many bad news, that the bad news were, are already there, mm -hmm. which has, they just realized. And what we are giving them is a potential solution to those mm. bad news. How to That's work a very it good out? Attitude, yeah. Yeah. So this is what I, I think what motivates me the most to wake up, thinking and always trying to figure out the way to to overcome the difficulties that yeah that companies individuals are facing here because here we have the chance to to talk to companies, but when we keep working with them. You start knowing the people. You start to know about all the all the backgrounds, and also here with the helpless, we have this. I think it's an extra, an extra positive aspect that we interact with companies from all over Europe, and this means a huge uh, amount of different cultures. So we, it's never boring. It's always something new, something different. The way you explain something to. Uh, Southern Union you know, company is totally different than if you talk to a Northern European company. So yeah, it's always something new, something something to to solve. But yes, it's it's what motivates me the most. It's, and what it's is your boring. biggest achievement in China? Besides coming back say, after the pandemic. I think this is my biggest yes. achievement. <laughs> that's a huge back. achievement. I had it. Yeah, that's that is true. That is true. That was a huge achievement. <laughs> Did you come back in I October? I came back in after Christmas. Actually, oh, my wow. Christmas okay. present my Christmas present was a COVID test. Yes. But I made it, so I, I cannot complain. And I made it before they changed the type of COVID test they uh, they were using. Yes. <laughs> So that that was the biggest achievement, I think. 
maybe uh, something more you, personal uh, or more professional besides <laughs> this one which is my achievement too. like i'm so proud <laughs> i don't think that it's a big achievement that a uh, sole only pure big achievement of that i made here in china what i think is what i consider or recognize to myself the most is how i feel how can i feel home being so far from home how i managed to adapt to be part of a totally different culture uh, till the point that i talk to to my family members or friends that they are not related with, with china they are totally unable to understand some daily aspects that for me it became totally normal part of my life and i think this is a biggest achievement ever, to recognize myself and to realize my capacity of to adapt to a new a new place and i it's not easy it's something that you have to work in every single day but yeah it is it is what i like and i think that do you do you feel home in china now yes i feel i feel at home this is i'm totally adapted and Nice. Sometimes, I, of course, I, I miss my my country, but I don't. I'm, I haven't been there since 2018, and I I'm fine with that. I don't I don't struggle like many other uh, Laois as I see here. Hmm. Well, thank you very much for the conversation. I think it was very useful for me to know that um, at any time, if there is a European Union small or medium enterprise, they can talk to you and reach out about their IP issues. And I will be leaving your email and your contact uh, in the comments under the episode. And mm -hmm. I hope that you will have uh, more people reaching out before they make mistakes. I My favorite story today was knowing how uh, you listened carefully to this German enterprise that already had a strategy mm -hmm. and thought deeply how you can make it better, not in terms of saving money, or saving, I don't know, the resources, but saving time so that it would make more, you know, it would make more sense for the business. So that is, I think, yes, the value saving. because you're not interested in selling something more expensive or something that is more complicated, but you're interested in making sure that this company is successful. And I'm really happy to know that there is such an institution in China that we can reach if there is a need. So thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you for the invitation. As, as you said, if any company wants to contact us, we will try to save them as many headaches as is as possible. <laughs> so they happily enter to the Chinese market, get a good IP, IPR strategy, succeed here in China. So thank you all for listening and I'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Doing business in China is a complex world. You can quickly feel alone and lost in its maze. But don't worry, China Business Cast is here for you. Sign up for our newsletter and regular updates on our website at www.chinabusinesscast.com. Thanks for tuning in.